Pastor Rob, uh, so I'm teaching tonight. Surprise, surprise. Pastor Rob is leaving tonight for, is it St. Louis? St. Louis, um, to teach at the American Renewal Project that David and Cindy Lane put on around the country, mobilizing pastors to do what Pastor Rob has set kind of the prototype to do. So what this small congregation is engaged in for the last few years, uh, looking to see other congregants, other congregations get involved, get active in their community, get active politically, that we can change our environment and keep um, our country, uh, our cities, where we live, free places to where we can teach the gospel, which is going to be what uh, I'm going to cover tonight. Um, If you don't know me, I am the worship pastor. I have the great privilege of being the worship pastor here. Um, And so on Sunday mornings, I lead worship. Typically Wednesday nights, I lead worship, but Micah covered for me as I covered for Rob. And then I also get to, as of recently, uh, I think we're six or seven weeks in now, I teach the third service on our Sunday, which is at 6 p.m. And it's a totally different service, but uh, really enjoying it. It's a really sweet time. There's a, this is my shameless plug for that service, but I really think you'll enjoy it. It's a quick teaching and a lot of family time is we, we break up actually in the service, we break up into groups and we pray for our church and all the prayer requests that come in on Sunday mornings. And then we end uh, with worship. So it's a different format, but it blesses me. Um, and I'm just so humbled that pastor Rob would ask me to teach a service and all the servants that come along have come alongside me and, and help. So Sunday nights at six, if you guys want to come, it's an hour and 15 minutes. But as we, I started off Sunday night series going through, I wanted to set the culture for why we do things. So, um, as a body of believers, I think it's easy and I include myself in all this. I think it's easy for us to get in ruts as we show up to church. We just kind of go through motions. Um, and it helps me to every so often ask why I'm doing what I'm doing so that I can understand or remember what the goal is that I'm running after. Otherwise I find myself just going through the motions and, and my walk or even a service can become mundane. It becomes a thing on a checklist. So we went through a series of why we do what we do as the body of Christ Four things uh, is why we pray why we preach, why we partake in communion and why we praise. Why? So why do we sing? Um, and then in doing those four things, I unpack those four things over four weeks. And then by doing that, I believe we are doing the fifth, which is calling us to gather together as believers, to form a community, to form a family that we do all those things that the, in all those things, a commonality, a commonality in all of them is that they're directed vertically, but they have a horizontal effect as does everything in our Christian walk. So when we just now we sang Micah led us in praise, that's not a time for me to think through what I'm about to say, but that's something that we're looking back at Exodus 15 when the Israelites were set free from what enslaved them and they crossed the Red Sea. And the first thing they did is they sang the song of Moses. And the theme of that song was that the Lord is our King. So nothing else reigns over us anymore but the Lord and he has broken the chains of the thing that enslaves us. And so we carry on that tradition now. That's why we sing. And we're looking forward to when we sing, we'll sing song of Moses again. We see it in revelation. So just a quick recap, what we're going to go through tonight is I taught the message on why we preach. Um, 
it really, uh, my goal in that sermon was to direct and to answer that question, why do we preach? But in doing so, there was a, another glaring topic that was running through it. it. And it's the responsibility of us as believers and really the defining of um, the gospel. And so tonight, as you see, I've titled this The Forgotten Gospel. Um, and we're going to be in Second Timothy. So if you, oh, Sam, you can put that up. Uh, we'll be in Second Timothy. I'm going to try to get through a lot of First and Second Timothy, at least getting us up to speed with the the context of it. And before I finish that, Micah, if anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand. Micah will get you one. And specify if you want large lettering, because he'll set you up. There it is. <laughs> if you want large lettering, make sure you get that maroon one. Thanks, Micah. So we'll be going through Second uh, Timothy, so you can start turning there. Second Timothy uh, 4, 1 through 5. But again, I'll be covering a bit more than that. That's going to be the meat of it. So I, I know we don't do this on Wednesday nights, but I love that we do this on Sunday mornings, and I adopted it for Sunday nights. So would you guys please stand with me as we read the living word of God? So this is Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the list is infinite. Lord, uh, we thank you for a new day that we're all here breathing. Lord, we thank you for the rain. Lord, we thank you for this place that we can come freely and open up your word. And we thank you for your living word. This, this inspired book that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through the maker of the universe who holds the universe in the span of his hand has revealed it to you have revealed yourself to us through your scripture. Holy spirit. I ask now that you would be my helper and that you would be the teacher tonight that as we open up the word together, that truth would be taught. Anything from me would be forgotten and quickly disposed of, but Holy spirit, everything from you, uh, would take center stage and that it, that would be the seed that would be planted. And then you, as we leave here tonight, would then see that seed grow and bear fruit in our community, in our families, in our workplaces. I ask all this for your glory, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, I don't know how many years exactly it was. I would say like two or three years ago. Um, while my dad was still alive and it was before his mind had totally, uh, succumbed to the dementia that he was going through. 
um, I had a recording studio in the basement of their house. And so I would drive over there regularly because that was, that was my job for a while um, before ministry. And so I would go over there and, and be mixing and, and whatnot. He would always come in and especially towards the end of his dementia, he'd always come in and just want to hang out. And I remember uh, one time, which this is just, it's a treasure to me still. And this will be obvious, but one time he wandered in and he was at a, he was at a point where I could tell the, I could tell the dementia was about to get gnarly. And what was interesting is I think he, he did too. That's what's such a, interesting and brutal disease, but, um, I, I couldn't remember. I don't, I couldn't tell you how we started this conversation, but I remember it just clicked in my head that this is one of the last conversations I'm going to have with my dad. And it was him just imparting as much as he could to me. And so I, I grabbed my phone did the little voice recorder app and threw it. There was a couch next to me, threw it on the couch. And so I still have that today. Uh, this conversation between really the last conversation between my dad and I, and he's, uh, telling me what he's proud of in me and telling me to, he was always, he was always pushing me to be a leader. So it was, it was like his last charge of, of like, you're the, you're the man in the family now do this, just this big charge. And so as I'm studying through second Timothy, as we'll go through this, this is reminiscent of that moment. Uh, Paul's in jail, uh, in Rome and he knows he's about to die. And so Timothy, as we, as we know, Paul was going about planning churches and along the way he's picking up these guys and pouring into him. And Timothy is this one guy that he's, he's pouring into and, and Paul's being persecuted. So he's, He's imprisoned in Rome and he's writing Timothy. Second Timothy is his last letter to Timothy. Shortly after this, he would be killed. And so I want to set the stage for you, the severity. Um, you imagine when my dad was talking to me, we weren't talking about frivolous things. It's, this is, this is an important thing. This is, this is my last charge to you. This is, I'm going to encourage you. And I want this to to last. This means something. I don't know if we're going to be able to converse again. I don't know if I'm going to be able to write you another letter. I don't know if you're going to be able to come see me. So this is what I'm leaving you with this legacy that I have, that I've followed Christ and I've, I've completed the race. This is what I'm leaving for you. And you need to carry that out. That's the severity of this letter. That's Paul's, um, writing to Timothy. Um, Timothy at the time is most likely he's still in Ephesus. And we know from first Timothy that there's, uh, Paul's telling Timothy and calling Timothy, who's a young minister to, uh, not despise his youth, but to, to rise up and correct some older leaders who are teaching, um, false doctrine within the church. And then they're taking people from the church and kind of like peeling them off and, uh, a false doctrine is, is then spreading through these churches. And so Paul's calling Timothy to, Hey, man up and you need to correct this in love, but you need to fix this. Um, Paul really wants to, at the end of the letter, Paul really wants to see Timothy, but he, he knows that this is not looking good. This is about to, uh, 
this is going to be the end of it for him. And what's even sad in this moment is that Paul is starting to lose all the other people who supported Paul are now peeling away and they're ashamed that Paul's in prison. They're ashamed that, that Paul keeps finding himself in prison. And so there's this distance that's being created. And Paul is reaching out to Timothy as one of the only loyal ones still who will associate themselves at all with Paul. And then, uh, Paul, having experienced this, you can understand as, as, a, as a guy who's, te- who's reaching out to a younger protege to teach him, to encourage him, he's going to prepare him for it. If he's calling him to the same mission, he's, he's also understanding he's calling him to the same suffering. And therefore, he knows that ultimately it can be within the cards of what Timothy's going to receive that people are going to abandon him as he pursues Christ and the mission of, of Christ in proclaiming his kingdom to come, that people are going to peel away from him as the powers that be would oppress Timothy. And so then he, he tells Timothy where his source and his power comes from is that it's not from the people around him, but Paul even talks of how Jesus is in prison with him and that his power comes through Christ who is empowering him to suffer. And Paul even says, and it's so powerful if you stop and think about it, um, but shares in the sufferings of Christ. Um, He, Paul even calls himself his prisoner to where he, he's not even giving the power to Romans, but he's fully declaring Christ's kingdom and that I'm Christ's prisoner. I'm his servant. And however this shakes out, it doesn't matter. He's my king. I'm serving him. So this, the, the, the call and the, the gravitas to what Paul is, is saying to Timothy of just, this is way bigger than me, Timothy. This is way bigger than you. This is something that's for sure worth living for. And this is something that is absolutely worth dying for. And there's no suffering of this present age that will ever take away or ever, ever compare to the glory that's to come. And so go through it, fight through it. Um, and he's encouraging Timothy, uh, to pick up this mission that he's, uh, going to be ending. He's going to be finishing his run on this earth. And in doing so, he's, he, uh, he's saying not be ashamed. If you look at, if you want to flip through, I'm still kind of catching us up to chapter four and second Timothy one, um, He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So don't be ashamed of what we're preaching, um, nor of me, his prisoner. So this is when Paul's alluding to that. Everybody else has abandoned him. Don't be ashamed of the one that we're preaching, the one that I've committed my life to, and you've committed your life to, but also don't be ashamed of me, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. And we're going to camp there for a bit, uh, a minute before we get into the, um, chapter four is share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. I think to have a good understanding of what Paul is calling Timothy to, we have to really qualify and define these words here. And I think we can, as Christians, we say gospel. And I think we all 
assume we know what we're talking about or that we're all thinking the same thing, but we might not be. And so tonight I want to unpack is the, the full encompassing gospel that this isn't the, the gospel isn't you hear pastor Rob uh, Sunday mornings talk about it quite often is I think in a way we have sadly turned the word gospel into the meaning. We would say good news, right? Like that'd probably be the first thing if I asked, Hey, what's the gospel? You'd say good news. And so then, okay, but what's the good news? And I think in our culture, we have turned the good news into the salvation moment. We've turned the good news into that. Um, I had a debt that I couldn't pay that Christ came and was the only one who could pay it. And now he has stood in my place, lived the life that I should have lived, died the death that I should have died. Then I can be reconciled to the father. And now I'm in the family and I'm counted as righteous because of the blood of Christ. And now I'm in the family. That is, that's the good news. But the, the forgotten part, the sad part is, is that I think we've stopped there. I think we've, we've landed at, I'm, I'm saved. I've been redeemed. My debt's been paid and we stop. And so tonight I want to try to unpack and make a case. And I, I'm hoping through the prodding of the Holy spirit that we would leave here tonight empowered to put action, to see what's this part. What happens after that? What happens after salvation? What am I to be doing? What's the good news of after I'm saved in this, in this time that I'm living now? I, I, I thank the Lord for my salvation and your salvation, but what should we be doing now? And how does the gospel, how is it lived out? Is the gospel a point in time that I already experienced? No, the gospel is to be living and empowering me. And we see Timothy or Paul write to Timothy say, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. So we need to understand, well, what are we, what should we, why should we be sharing the sufferings or what is sharing in the sufferings for the gospel look like? The gospel isn't, uh, I think not only do we stop short sometimes and just saying that it's the, it's the moment of salvation, but then we also have is that they were having an Ephesus. We just have bad doctrine going around that. The good news is that, um, the Lord is going to solve all our problems that, that now that we are saved, we live for a King that owns the cattle on a thousand Hills and that every needs, uh, we'll never need anything again. We'll never want for anything again that we just ask him for it and he'll, he'll give it to us. That's not, that's not the greater picture of scripture of what the gospel is for us. Or we want the gospel to be a personal thing. I think this is the one that's probably more susceptible or we're more susceptible to is that the gospel is the good news for me personally. And this is something that I, I personally attend a church. I personally uh, pray before my meals at my home. I personally pray at my house quietly. 
Uh, but it's a personal thing. It's, it's siloed inside my own life. It's not something that lives outside myself. I think our culture is, uh, we've started walking down that road and now I think we feel like we're being pushed down that road of, we need to keep the gospel to ourselves. We need to keep it to houses of worship. We need to keep it to our own homes and we need to not bring it into a school. We need to not bring it into politics. We need to not bring it into our workplace. And so this ground that I think we've given up on our own is now trying to increase and push us back even further. And that's my goal tonight is that we'd be empowered to now start moving forward and seeing what is, what is the forgotten part of the gospel? That's the part that pushes us to action that lives, lives out. What's the part that reflects Christ and him pursuing us. Um, my little daughter, Everly. So she, I mean, we're all idol factories, but she's three and a half. She's just a little idol factory, that thing. So she's living for, she doesn't know it, but she's living for herself. Um, and I love her to death, but that little girl is all about what's going on with her. And if I were to give her everything she wanted, there would be no suffering in our home. Meaning my wife and I suffering through her crying or having to go through discipline or the, the tears or whatnot. The suffering happens when I go to that idol that's in her life. May it be a ice cream cone. May it be a toy. Uh, may it be just not wanting to do something that mom told her to do or that dad told her to do. The suffering comes when I go to that idol that she's placing herself as the Lord of her life. And be so hard on a three and a half year old, uh, <laughs> uh, placing yourself as the Lord of her life. And then when I go and I tear down that idol and I say, Nope, you're not living for that. When I tear down that Pharaoh, that she doesn't know yet is enslaving her that will enslave her later on. When I tear that idol down, that's when the suffering starts. That's when the suffering in the house starts. And so as we see, it's the analogy for the gospel for us is that the suffering isn't going to happen for us. If the gospel lives just inside of our home, because what are we, what are we doing? That's pushing against anything. The suffering is not going to happen when the gospel simply means to us that we get everything we ever want. And it's the genie in the bottle gospel that I don't really, I don't talk with the Lord. I don't submit to the Lord, but when trouble hits or when needs hit, then I, I say, I'm going to pray or God help me or whatever it may be. There's no suffering that gospel won't have you suffering. The suffering is when we engage with the Pharaohs, when we engage with the kingdoms of the world, which is what Paul is going through. Paul is living for a kingdom that he sees is coming. And so the powers that be don't like the fact that Paul's speaking of this kingdom, this authority that's, that's above this, this king, that's, that's more. And so the persecution comes 
And so this gospel for us needs to not be a thing of our own salvation, but the thing that pushes us out into a culture, into our family, into our friend groups, into our neighbors on our street, into the political world as, as we do a lot here. You guys hear that a lot from our pastor who's politically engaged and in, in living this out. We get to see it through him. This gospel is not a gospel that, that leaves you stagnant or sitting, but it's one that, that pushes you out. Amen. Does this all make sense to you guys so far? So, uh, that's right. <laughs> I hope so. Um, we see this in Isaiah, Isaiah 52, seven. So you guys know the verse. I'm sure you'll recognize the verses. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. So speaking of the gospel, right? So the context of that will give us the picture of what the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what they're all screaming of. So Isaiah in the old Testament is saying how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news. And then it, um, it says our Lord reigns reminiscent of Exodus 15, the song of Moses. That's the theme of the song that our Lord reigns, right? So that good news is not good news of simply, I don't want to say this is true. It is our salvation, but the good news, that picture of the messenger running down the mountain, calling their feet beautiful because they're coming with a message. The picture here is that there's the watchman who's on the tower. Jerusalem is in shambles. The uh, Jews are exiled everywhere. And it looks as though the end is done. And the picture here is that we, we trust our King, but nothing looks like he's reigning. Nothing looks like it. We're, we're exiled. Everything's destroyed. And then this watchman sees on the mountain, this, this, this messenger running, running. And the good news is not simply salvation. The good news is our Lord reigns. So it's speaking of what I was alluding to with, with my daughter, Everly, it's speaking of a leadership change. It's speaking of a kingdom. So the gospel, when you read gospel, um, read into it as you, every time you come across good news gospel, think of it, not just as the good news that you have been saved and you, a debt was paid that you can never pay, but it's the declaration of Jesus, the Messiah as King. So that, that transition from the old Testament to the new Testament where we have the old Testament of, uh, I keep going back to Exodus 15, but it's like the start of our story is that we are freed from the thing that enslaved us. And the people of Israel are called to live under the kingship of our Lord. And they do that poorly and worse and worse and worse and worse. And the Lord brings judgment and they're exiled. And so then there's this big question mark. Uh, we just flip the next page and we're right into Matthew. We're right into the new Testament, but there's this gap question mark of that cannot be how this ends. And so they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And that's the picture that Isaiah is giving. And that's the theme of all four gospels is that yes, Jesus is 
hundred percent man, a hundred percent God. And yes, we are saved individually and that we are redeemed. But the, the overarching theme of that gospel is that Jesus is our returning King. And so we don't have a doctrine of I'm saved. And then this world is going to burn because this world is evil And then I'm just waiting for the day that I get to leave this earth and go to the nice place, heaven, and then just let all this go to shambles. What we believe is that we are here in this earth. Christ came, left his heavenly throne, left perfection, left comfort, came to an ugly, messed up, dirty world to pursue us when scripture says when we were still pursuing our sin. So not when we had cleaned up, but when you and I were still sinning and loving our sin, that's when Christ came and got into the dirt, got into the mud of this world to pursue us and redeemed us. And now he's left us here to live as Israel was. You hear pastor Rob say all the time, this counterculture, not a subculture, but a counterculture, a culture that's living. It should be the mark on all of us, the hallmark of all of us that we're living for another kingdom. And that kingdom is not one of us leaving earth, forget this place and leaving it and going to heaven. It's one of our King is will return to earth. And as in Exodus, will vanquish all the Pharaohs once and for all that are living on this earth. And we will have a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be the restoration of Genesis of Eden. So the work that God began in Genesis, he's, he doesn't abandon it. He's a God of redeeming, right? That's what he's done for us. He's redeemed us. And so he's not abandoning this beautiful thing that he has created but he's started this mission that he will ultimately complete where he will redeem it. And our King will come back to earth here. And so we should be found here on earth active and living as though our King currently reigns, but things are still in shambles, right? There's shootings and, and politics is messy. And I mean, everything's messy, right? It's not super easy but we have the hope that our King will come back and will vanquish everything that is opposed to him. And we will serve with him here on this earth when he comes back. That's, that's our gospel. And that should, I hope in you now, it even, even as I say it, it fires me up. This gospel should fire us up to be about something rather than be content to stay at home, be content to be quiet, be content to be pushed into a corner and just live out your Christianity over there. But don't let that affect over here because our King is going to come and vanquish these Pharaohs. We should be about that. We should be establishing his kingdom here on the earth and living as this contrast, this counterculture, this contrast people on this earth that we could give this good news to someone else who is enslaved by whatever Pharaoh is living in their life, that they could see that we serve a good and gracious and mighty King. And they would come to know him and start living for him. And we would see his kingdom expand here on the earth. And then ultimately 
We look forward to the day where he comes and he reigns completely. And we see it here on the earth and we see where heaven and earth meet together again. And we see the, the redemption of, of what God started in Eden. Amen. So that's the gospel that we hold on to. It's one of action. It's one of reaching. It's one where we reflect Christ and that Christ left comfort to pursue those who were really hard to pursue me, you. The gospel calls us to reflect our savior. It calls us to leave our comfort and pursue those that are hard to pursue, to love those that are hard to love, to love those that we feel in our own righteousness don't deserve our love or don't deserve to be pursued. But when we see our own, our own wickedness, it should drive us to then reflect him and live out that gospel in our lives. Paul knows as he's talking to Timothy, writing this letter to Timothy, he knows that in doing that, it is inherent. It's not a maybe, but it is inherent to the Christian life, to a gospel empowered, a gospel active life that suffering will take place, that persecution will take place. There's no way around it. And Paul knows that that's going to happen to Timothy as he's writing to him from prison about to die. So he, he, he knows what's, what's the future holds for Timothy and he's not ashamed of it because he, he, he sees the, the end game. And at the end of, uh, Second Timothy one eight that we just went through, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel, how according to the power of God. So then we see Paul is telling him, Hey, share in these sufferings for the gospel. So for this good news that Jesus is our King and no matter who else in this world says they're your King, Jesus is King. And that's who we proclaim. Now, Paul makes it clear by that last line that he's not telling Timothy just to pull himself up by his bootstraps, just to be tough, just to grit it out. But he's pointing him to now who is going to do this? Who's going to cause you to be able to do this, to will and to do the good works according to the power of God. So God is going to just in the same way that Paul is in prison and he's, and it's still encouraged in a way talking as Christ is there with him. He's passing that on to Timothy that trust that as you walk out and you step out in obedience to this gospel and you start taking shots at the big Pharaohs in this world that look really big and look really scary. know that it's not your own strength that the Lord is going to empower you through that. It's the power of, of the Lord that will be working in you. And that's the thing I think that that stops us so many times is we know Christ is King, but then we just see, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a, an idea, maybe it's a political stance. I don't know what it may be, but they intimidate us. It intimidates us to not engage it because we just think I'm going to get made a fool of, this, I'm going to get pushback as soon as I open my mouth. They're going to take shots at my, at my character. They're going to take shots at me personally. I can't handle it. And we, we back away for fear of the repercussions, for fear of the suffering. Be encouraged. 
this is going to sound funny as it's happening in my head. Be encouraged. You're going to suffer, <laughs> but be encouraged as you go through that suffering. It's not your own power that's going to walk you through that, but it's the power of the living God who we declare as our true King is going to be living through you to will and to do those good works that he's prepared before, but he's going to empower you to walk through dark times, hard times. And even in those times, I truly believe, which this is a rough truth, but I truly believe it's in our darkest moments that our ministry is, is the brightest. Uh, my constant prayer, I, um, pastor Brett just handed me over the prayer ministry. So if a, a prayer comes in over the website, um, I send it out to the prayer chain. And then also it just happens that on Sunday nights, we pray for all the prayer requests that get turned into the agape boxes. So I, I read them, I read them all. And there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of people going through really hard stuff and it's rough. Um, and my constant prayer, having gone through the, I won't go into it, but if you have come to church here for a while, I think you know my story very well. Um, but if not, I'll just say that the last, the last five years have been rough, uh, super rough, but I think my strongest ministry has probably happened through, through that. And so my constant prayer for others is that Lord, would you relieve us of this suffering? But also would you teach us to be a people that suffer well? That when tragedy strikes, when persecution happens, when attacks happen, that we be a people that aren't just strong when stuff is good, but we're a people that are even stronger because of the, because of the working of the Holy Spirit through us, that when things are bad, we're even brighter. We're fortified through that. Uh, that we'd be a people that, that suffer well. And, and Paul's calling Timothy to that, but then letting him know, Timothy, don't get it twisted. It's not because you're really tough. And because you have all the right answers right away and that you're the smartest, you were the smartest young guy I saw. And so I believe in you go get him. But he's saying, Hey, suffer, but it's God. It's God's power. That's going to be working through you. So real quick, uh, well, a few minutes, um, we're going to go through all that to get to, Second Timothy four, one through five that I'm going to just unpack real quick. We'll go line by line for a bit. One more verse, second Timothy one, seven. So it's funny. I'm kind of flipping these. We, we just went through seven Timothy one, eight. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share with share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. Um, right before that, Second Timothy one seven is the line that we all know for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. And so now when you put that in context, Paul is giving Timothy that encouragement of God hasn't given you a spirit of fear of power, love and a sound mind. So that, that, that part that I just told you to encourage you is for the second part that you will be suffering, 
for the gospel, but God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Be encouraged and see how, see what Paul's doing there to him is he's, he's building him up. I reminiscent of, uh, myself with my dad, like building, building him up, knowing that he's going to encounter some hard times, but he's, he's focusing Timothy's eyes. He's getting Timothy's eyes on the bigger thing. That's bigger than both of them. So then we go into uh second Timothy four. This is coming to the end of Paul's second letter to Timothy. Um, and this is the gravity of what Paul's uh, telling him would maybe the last time he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So same as I was saying before, this is his charge. This is Timothy. You've seen me. You've seen my ministry. I've poured into you. We've done life together. I'm going to be gone. My ministry is ending. I ran the race. I fought the good fight. This is my charge to you. And my charge is bigger than me because I charge you before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to be the one who's going to judge. And again, when we look at gospel as a kingdom mindset, we also see here that Paul is referring back to that when he says, I, I, Therefore, before God and Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. So he's putting Timothy's mind again on the complete gospel, not just Timothy's salvation, but the complete gospel of that. There is a kingdom of this world that we don't live in the kingdom of this world, but we live for the kingdom of God who is, will come and reign on this earth. And he's pointing his eyes to that, that I'm charging you not simply by me, but by the one who sent me the true King by God, by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is that King and that King who will judge and who will come and reign on this earth. So wait, he just put a ton of weight behind what he's about to uh, charge Timothy with. First thing after that, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. When he's saying preach, he's saying, herald it, explain it, teach it, tell people what has been imparted to you. Take this, this word of God. Don't take your ideas. Don't take, uh, some good thoughts. Don't take your own stuff, but the word teach the word because it's living. It's active. As we read the word, we, we believe that we're not simply reading words on a page. We can read any other book and we're reading words on a page and they can have great ideas and tons of good insight and a lot of knowledge in those books. But there is something supernaturally, epically different about the scripture. When we read these words, it is the inspired word of God. And I couldn't even tell you how exactly it happens. And so I know we all trust, but that as we read this, it's actually changing us inside. It is forming us as we read these words, we're being formed to live under this new kingdom. When we're surrounded every day by a world that's telling us to live for our, 
our own pleasures, like my three and a half year old daughter, just live for this, live for the next thing that I want. And then as we read scripture, it's reprogramming us and, and shaping us to be a people that live for our coming King. Be ready in season and out of season, really straightforward. And when we view this, the gospel as, as something that pushes us out, I feel like a lot of times it's more out of season than in season. I feel like we, I feel like we are always waiting for in season and maybe that's like 1% of the time. And then 99% of the time is the out of season of I am tired or I don't even like this person. I don't know if I want them to be saved. (laughs) The out of season times or I'm not equipped to engage in this. I'm going to make a fool of myself. I'm going to make a fool of Christianity and make a fool of Jesus and these, these lies that we have. So he's saying, be ready. So study, show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we have a call to rightly divide. And if there's a right way to divide the word of truth, there's a wrong way. Uh, Again, it's happening in Ephesus. There's bad doctrine being spread. It was, uh, it could be multiple things of what the implications were, but they were teaching that the resurrection already happened. So that was the actual thing that Timothy had to go stomp out was these guys were teaching bad doctrine of the, the resurrection already happening. But we need to be ready in all seasons. You guys know the story of, uh, I love the story, but I can't get into it tell it because it'll take too long. But the kid, there was a kid who was, I didn't know at the time, but there was somebody robbing our mail from our front porch and they stole like it was $700 worth of stuff in mail. It happened to be, we never get mail. And then I ordered two things like a, a Valentine's gift for Katie and a car stereo and gone. So anyway, I caught him and I was livid, livid. I was, I was thinking it was just going to be a grown man and I was ready. I said, I kind of nerded out. My dad's a police. My dad was a police officer. My grandfather was a police officer. So justice burns hot with me. So, uh, I set up a, like I set up a GoPro outside and then shut all the lights off, faked the door open and close so that I suspected it was our neighbor. And then I was like, I'll confess to you guys. I was going to, when I saw him take it, I was going to open the door and just deck him. And I, I was ready to go. And this kid came, stole the stuff. Long story short, I'm in the garage with him. Police are at our house. And I'm uh, super random. One of the police officers, deputies that showed up to respond to that was actually another police officer who helped me when my dad was fully gone with his dementia and he was uh, getting violent. And so I was calming him down and this police officer totally went to bat for my dad. Uh, and so he showed up at the house and the first thing he gets out of the squad car, he's like, Hey, how's your dad? It's like, great. This situation's not great, but, um, but anyway, I was so livid wanting justice. So bad. Wanted to see this kid get in trouble and like 
teach a lesson and this won't happen. And then as I'm sitting in the garage, the Lord just completely turns my heart into putty. And it was that totally thing of like, got to be ready in season and out of season. And this is a season I'm this is out of season. This is not the kid I want to have mercy on. This is not the kid that I want to love on. Uh, this is the kid that I want to see the Lord's righteous justice, justice being carried out. Uh, and so um, we basically made a deal. I told him if he, he has to wake up, be ready at six o'clock every Sunday morning, and he's going to church with me for the entire summer, or they are uh, charging him. And so he took the deal and he joined our discipleship group. And it's a really awesome long story, but ready in season and out of season. Be ready in those moments. And it's, I feel like it's most likely when you're not, we're not prepared that the Lord is going to prod our hearts and be like, this is the time. And I think it's because he wants to show us that it's in our weakness. He's made strong. And that doesn't mean that we purposefully desire to be weak and that we don't study and that we don't strive. Uh, Paul's really clear that he strives with all Christ's energy, but we strive because it's the Lord working in us, but then he also shows us our weakness so that he can be proven strong and that we can see all his attributes through ourselves and even be in awe and wonder. I, I don't, when I share that story, I don't think of like, man, I am such a great guy, but I just think, wow, in the midst of that, the Lord fully derailed my fleshly plans and, and reached a kid through me, which was the worst. I was the worst person to reach him through. I thought, and the Lord made it happen in season and out of season. Paul says in a, in Romans nine or Romans 10, nine, Paul's writing about how we're saved. And this is pointing us back to that gospel that's living. And it's about others. Um, he, he's writing uh, previously that we're not saved by our works, but it's by the work of Christ. And verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your hearts that God will raise him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart. One believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between junior Greek for the same Lord is over all is rich and all who call upon him forever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's where we stop typically. And that's the verse that we share for someone who will you accept the Lord. We need to, in our own selves, keep reading. And we need to push those who we encounter, who we give them this verse that confess the Lord as your savior and you're going to be saved. Awesome. I don't want to belittle that, but then we need to push them to keep, keep reading. Well, then how shall they call on him who they do not believe and how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, and this is quoting back to Isaiah 52 that I alluded to before, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed your report? So who has believed that report that that our King still reigns. It's Isaiah 53, actually. Um, 
So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So right after salvation, it's this cycle where he's saying, how are these people going to be saved unless you tell them? Oh yeah. So we need to tell them and that person gets saved. So now they're in our shoes reading back verse nine. Well, how are people going to get saved unless you tell them? Oh yeah, right, right, right. So it's this cycle of now this person is born again, not to end there, but to then, Oh, I received salvation. I'm going to keep reading. Well, how are people How is anybody else going to hear about this good news that I received? I got to teach. I got to go out. And so we keep, we keep reading through this and then son, another person save, and then they got to keep reading through and they got to keep reading through. We keep reading through that. Our salvation is the beginning of our journey of great impact into our families, our communities, our workplaces, as we're powered by the Lord. And as we do this, uh, just continuing through this, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I think back to my experience with, with Louie, uh, this kid who I caught stealing from us. Uh, we use the word to rebuke. We use it to exhort and we use it to teach. And in rebuking, we can, Timothy's going to do it um, as he tackles this false doctrine that's being taught. He's going to rebuke and he's going to put down, not in hate, but through love, but he's going to teach the word and rebuke. Uh, He's going to exhort. He's going to encourage these people, but then he's going to teach with, with long suffering. Uh, That's what we're called to as people is we can't just be empowered and go out and feel like we were empowered with a club and that we go up to someone and are empowered like, yeah, okay, the Lord's going to work through me. And this is the gospel, man. And it's a, Hey, keep that to yourself. And like, well, forget that. And we, we bail on it. That's not reflecting how I was saved. I would venture to guess that's not reflecting how a lot of us were saved. We were probably, well, I'm still a work in progress with the Lord. I'm saved, but we're all, he's still working on all of us, right? Gentle, long suffering, patient, going the extra mile blows my mind. And so as he shows us that, that's how we are to go and, and teach this gospel in long suffering, not easily offended but loving soft answer turns away wrath that when we share the love of Christ and in return, we get bitten and our flesh wants to go almost in. We feel like we're defending Christ. Our flesh wants to rise up and bite back that the true working of the Holy spirit in us would produce a calm and would produce even more love and knit our hearts with those who are lost and hurting that we would see ourselves in the people that we're pursuing. And I, I, I would put myself in their shoes and that Christ I've done far worse to Christ and Christ still pursued me and still died for me, gave up everything for me. 
that I could be brought into the family with long suffering. We teach scripture. We see it also um, in two twenty four. Paul's saying this earlier in this letter and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to knowledge of truth and they may become, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That it's in our gentleness, the ability of the Lord living through us to, to be given a harsh response and to respond with gentleness and with love, with kindness, with compassion, that just that countenance is a witness of the Lord. And that through that, that they may come to their senses and be set free from those things that enslave them, be brought into the family and then join as we preach the kingdom of, of Christ on this earth. So why do we, why do we need to do this? Why is it so important for us to be going about this and to have a sense of urgency. And it's the very next verse, verse three, this is Paul writing to Timothy and tell me this does not sound like our culture today for the time will come when they will not endure endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Here's the problem in Ephesus. It's the problem now. It's the problem of mankind. That just like my three and a half year old daughter does not like me tearing down the idol in her life of ice cream or Marty pops. Thank you, Marty. Uh, whatever it may be that I'm ripping, tearing down and saying, you're not the Lord of your life. And that's not the Lord of your life. People want, we are all inherently idol factories. We want something else to hold that position, anything else other than the true King. And so we put these substitutionary saviors in his place. And so this is the picture that we see in our culture. And it's the picture that Paul's painting here that they have itching ears. I don't want to hear that. I'm not the King of my life. I don't want to hear that. I can, I can't just do what I want and I can't just live for me. I don't want to hear that. I have to sacrifice my time, my treasure, my talents when I could be getting ahead in all those things. I don't want to hear that. I need to actually be giving of those things freely for something else. I want to Lord over my life. I want to drive my life and I want Christ, I want God just to be this thing that as I take the wheel, when tragedy strikes, I can reach over and grab this genie in a bottle and have him. Then I want you the Lord of my life when I, things get a little out of hand, but as soon as that boat kind of steadies out, I need you to go back over to this place on the shelf and I'm going to run my life again. We struggle with that as believers still. 
dying to that. And our culture wants to hear they have itching ears and they want to hear that they're the Lord of their life, that whatever fables that are, that are living in our day and age, there's an urgency for us to preach this gospel because people are running after lies. And if we don't run after people with truth, they will pursue these lies and be lost. And that's not the heart of our father. And therefore that should not be the heart of us for people to be lost and be okay with it. For the people believe in lies that we know will ultimately lead to their enslavement and ultimately lead to death. We cannot as people who have the heart of the father, we cannot be okay with it. And so we have to, again, we reflect Christ in that when we were all lost in our sin, dead in our sin, that Christ came and pursued us. Didn't just let us pursue our sin as we're pursuing our sin. He came after us and he pursued us. And so as our culture has itching ears and is heaping up Lords and Kings all over the place, thinking that it's, it's freedom for them. We know by the grace of God alone, we know that those are chains that they're just wrapping themselves up with. And it's not our goal to go point that out and mock them. And how, what a, what a stupid thing that you would believe that what a stupid thing that you would fall for that. That's not how Christ dealt with me. I, 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 I doubt that's how he dealt with you, but we should be, have a heart for them that I was in that place and Christ gently came and, and took those chains off of me. And as we go and minister to them, that the Lord through the power of the Holy spirit would do the same thing. He would free people from their chains. There is a, this is a, a while ago. Uh, I'll talk about my dad again. I love that guy so much. So probably every time I'm at the pulpit, I'll talk about my dad a little bit. Um, but, uh, he never did this. This was the only time he ever did it. So this is why it was so impactful to me, but it wasn't a birthday, a holiday, nothing. Um, one day he hands me, it looked like a little, like, uh, necklace box, you know, those white boxes. It's got a little like pillow inside, like where a necklace. So he hands me this box. So immediately I'm thrown off. Like what in the world? Like my dad would not give me a necklace. Like that's the most bizarre thing in the world. Um, so he just gives it to me and for whatever reason, I didn't open it right there. And then I got home and I open it up and I still have the card. It's sitting on a, it's sitting in my closet. So I see it every day, but he says on it, uh, you're, you're blessed to be a blessing. I'm so proud of you. Um, I'm so proud of the man that you are. Use this to bless others. And it was, uh, it was like a gift card, like a $50 gift card to Outback and like a $50 gift card to Olive Garden, I think. And he'd never done that before, like in that manner. Uh, like he, he never, I don't even know if he had ever given me a gift card before. It just didn't mean it was so odd. And that's why I treasure it. That's why I, I still have that card. <laughs> I, I don't have the gift cards. I still have the, the right, the right card, but perfect. That's exactly where I was going with it. How sad, how sad would it be if my dad 
blesses me with, well, so for me, as I just told the story for me, what was the true blessing in that gift? What he said it wasn't the hundred dollars worth of dinner, right? It was what my dad said. How sad would it have been? How off point would it have been if I took those two gift cards and just use them for myself? Right? I think, sadly, myself included, I think as Christians, we do that a lot. We've been blessed with this great gift. We're sons and daughters. We're part of the family. And then we forget about the two gift cards that are in there. And we're so focused on how, and I am now, I'm still blessed by it, but we're so focused on this, this card of that the father loves you, that you're his son, you're his daughter. He's proud of you. And that we forget these two gift cards, which was the point of what my dad was doing. He was doing two things. He was showing me that he loved me. But my dad was instilling in me that I didn't raise you to be this kind of man simply for your own sake. I raised you to be this kind of man for the life that you will live beyond me, for your wife, for your kids, for your community, for whatever church you may attend, for whatever jobs you may have in the future. I'm blessing you. So that you can send this forward, send this out, live outside yourself. And it's not just this thing of my dad and I, I know my dad loves me and I love my dad. That's awesome. Not belittling it. I know I'm saved. I know you're saved. Well, that's a theological statement. We're, I know, (laughs) I know we are saved but it can't end there. That's beautiful. And I don't want to take away from it, but it can't end there. We were given this blessing so that we could go and impact a community. We could impact our neighborhoods. We can impact our workplaces. We can impact uh, seven, seven mountains of cultural influence that pastor Rob talks about all the time, that those would be the gift cards that we have the security and knowing that we have been saved, that Christ pursued us at our very worst and came and he lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died, that we can be reconciled to the father and there's nothing that can pull us out of his grip. And so there's security and that is inspiring and awesome and epic, but we have to take steps after that. My dad didn't raise me simply just to be his son and it just to be about me and my dad, but it's to affect, to be someone who lives this out to, to affect our culture. And so then as you contemplate the full gravity of what the gospel is in every part of it, let the part where you were saved, where God redeemed you, where he now has switched lives with you. Let that then empower you to continue through the rest of the gospel that we oftentimes forget, which is the gospel that is 
reaching out, which is the gospel that is not living simply for I'm saved and now I'm good, but my King is coming and I want to be like him. And I want to be reaching out to other people and showing them contending with them, loving on them, striving with them, going the extra mile with them that they would get to know my father through me. That as I would, to continue with the analogy that I would take, as I would take people out to dinner with these gift cards, that they would get to know my dad. Did they ever sit down to dinner with him? Mm -mm. But they would get to know my dad, the heart of my dad through me, his kid. They would see what he was about. They would see his heart. They'd be attracted to it in the same way. That we're imperfect, we're going to fail. But as we, as we strive, we know that it's the Lord working through us. So this isn't a call to, hey, be more moral people. Be better. I would say strive. And strive looks a lot like work. So work, study, work at it. But know that it's ultimately the Lord working through you. And as you do that, People are going to see the heart of the father through you and in gentleness and in kindness and long suffering, that's ultimately going to lead people to salvation, which will be it's eternity. It's souls will be forever changed for all of eternity because of the witness that we get to be in the fact that you and I not only are saved, but it's even more mind blowing to me that we're not just saved, but he allows us to play. He, not only he allows us, he has designed us to play a part in salvation, to be the hands and feet of him. That it's through us. That's how he, that he, all through scripture, God works through people, through humans. He's designed us for this. So as we, as we pursue him, that looks like us pursuing others in our daily life. Amen. I'm amazed. I nearly landed on 8:30, and I'm not that good of a teacher yet. So this is a—it's the Lord. Um, yeah. So I—I I, as I said before, I really, really do pray. I pray that even if there's—I pray there's some kind of spark, some kind of fire, that got sparked in you this evening and you're going to have to flesh out what that looks like, what your lane is, what your giftings are. Um, talk with someone, bounce it off people. I just was sitting with the pastor of discipleship, uh, at Calvary community today, Jeremy, and we were bouncing off each other, just how we were reading each other. And like, Hey man, I think your giftings are this. And he was saying like, Hey, I can totally see this this stuff in you. Like, it's just, I can read it on you right away. So be in community. That's who we are. We're family. So it should be in our practice weekly that we're together with, with like-minded believers. So we can encourage each other and walk each other through this. But I pray not from me being, uh, some great speaker or anything like that, but I pray, uh, I really mean that. Um, but that through the Holy spirit, I pray that some spark would be be happening inside of you 
that would just grow into a flame. And as Pastor Rob challenges us all the time, that we wouldn't be just a people who lives out our Christianity within these walls, but we'd be a people that changes our community. So adopt your street, adopt a coworker, whatever it may be, but find something and go after it and know that it's the Lord working through you.